morning to you. Welcome to the church and uh, welcome to the service. We had a wonderful service at nine o'clock, and uh, I preached the message you know earlier. I'm trusting the Lord for uh, uh, the the appropriate anointing to preach it again at this service with different people here. But anyway, uh, Pamela and I did have our little trip to North Carolina. Uh, it was quite a wonderful experience. Had the opportunity to marry uh, my granddaughter, which is Dan's daughter, Stacy's stepdaughter, Leah. Many of you know Leah. Uh, she turned 20 about a week after the wedding. But a beautiful time. And then we spent um, a week with our son Jeffrey and his kids in Durham, North Carolina. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. I'll probably talk more about it uh, at the end of the sermon. Uh, last Sunday, we went to a church service in Durham. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was quite the uh, facility. I sent a picture of the sound booth to James and a couple of our board members. Uh, that alone cost more than we could even dream of. But uh, it was an awesome service. The, the Spirit of the Lord was there. But I was so happy to be worshiping the Lord with my son Jeffrey and his kids and my wife, of course. But good to be back. Thank you, Pastor Bill, for taking care of things while I was away. Uh, the services were good. The Word was good. Worship was good. It's good to know everything functioned well while we were away. You know, that's a good sign. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you're back in church today. I'm glad for those online, glad that you joined us. Uh, Please continue to do so. Uh, I would encourage the church that's here today, uh, throughout the weeks, the week and the weeks ahead, don't be afraid to invite someone to church. As you can see, we have plenty of room. So invite family members, friends, or whatever to come in to the house of the Lord. So we are going back to our preaching on 1 John. Uh, today we're in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse number 18. If, if you haven't been here, uh, some weeks ago the Lord impressed on my heart to preach through uh, this epistle, 1 John, then 2 John, and 3 John. So we're going back to that. So we're in 1 John chapter 2, and we're starting at verse number 18. So we're going to read verse 18 to 27. You could read along with me. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James. <clears throat> Little children... In the last hour, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest, that none of them were of us. Did everyone get all that? That's a mouthful right there. We'll explain that. But you have an anointing from the, Holy, from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and that no lie is of the truth. He, uh, I'm sorry, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Father, Lord, thank you for this particular passage of scripture. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through this, through these verses. Lord, we pray, I ask your anointing to be upon me, to anoint my, my lips, my tongue, my mind, my spirit, my heart, to present what you laid on my heart, to present it well to this body of believers today. Lord, in the process of this preaching of your word, as we often pray, Lord, we're going to trust that you'll be glorified, you'll be honored, you'll be pleased with the proclamation of the word of God today. And your people will be encouraged and edified because of it. Holy Spirit, come now. Do your work through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen and amen. Well, John is continuing here, uh, teaching and encouraging the churches to recognize their ability to discern the truth from the lie. The truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's Savior. He's Healer. He's Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And He's the soon coming King. Can I get an amen right there? He, he's the Savior. He's the Healer. He's the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And He's the soon coming King. The lie is anything that, that uh, detracts or subtracts from who Jesus is. Uh, under the anointing of, as it says here, of an Antichrist spirit. So I've entitled the message today, The Spirit of Antichrist, based on verse number 18. As I was preparing for this, I thought, well, it's one thing to realize that the spirit of Antichrist is alive and working in the world today. But it's another thing to think that the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the church today. Which is exactly why John was writing this portion of the scripture. Verse number 19 says that those Antichrist people came out of the church. They were not of the church, but they were in the church, if I could say it that way. They weren't one of us, but they were there. And so in that setting, this Antichrist spirit came out. Remember a few weeks ago, we were in verses 15, 16, and 17. Where John is saying, uh, do not love the world, the things of the world, etc. And uh, the world is passing away. These things are not of God. And, and we've looked at some scriptures like, the ruler of this world will, will be cast out. The prince of the power of the air is at work. And the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they can't see the glory of the Lord. So the Satan and the Antichrist spirit is expected in the world. But when, when that is at work in the church, it's kind of disconcerting. It's kind of, it's kind of bothersome. It's kind of, it's kind of unnerving to think that, that this is the case. And that's exactly why, and I'll get to this later, but this is exactly why we need, every church needs to have prayer warriors praying God's protection over the body of Christ. And worshipers that will worship the Lord no matter what. Praise, prayer and praise and worship are, are essential elements in defending the faith. So we need that and we have that, but we want to continue that. So let's go through uh, these verses, 18 to 27. And then uh, we're going to trust the Lord to give us some application uh, for today, for our fellowship. So verse number 18, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were in verses 12 through 14. And John was addressing different segments of the churches, the little children, the fathers, and uh, the young men. And there were three different categories. But the little children refers to the Christians, the the body of Christ uh, at large. And so he's saying, little children, uh, those of you that are born again, those of you who are new creations, to the church, I'm saying to the church, it's the last hour. And and right there, you have to stop and think, what is he talking about? The last hour? You know, this this was written in 95 AD. And some people think, well, he, he might mean it's the end of the century, the first century. He, he, some people thought he, he might be meaning it's the end of the apostolic age because John was, as you know, one of the last, if not the last of the original apostles that was alive and his time was coming up. And so maybe he meant it was the end of the apostolic age. Or other people think, well, maybe they meant it's the last days before Jesus returns. And so I want to talk about just the last days for just a minute. Peter addresses that. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand at that time. The writer of Hebrews said that in these, in these last days, these things will happen. Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come. And I don't need to tell you, perilous times have definitely come. And Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 4, that uh, we who remain will be caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. He was under the impression he was in the last days. And so the last days, just to clarify, uh, or the last hour, uh, pertains to the time frame between Acts chapter 2, when the baptism of the church happened, 
And when Jesus comes back again, whenever that will be, that is the last days or the last hour. We are in the last hour right now. We've been in the last hour for a long time. And so when we read like in verses 15, 16, and 17, that the world is passing away, you know, these things are not of God, etc. The world system is dying out. Hallelujah. The time of Jesus' coming is coming closer and closer and closer. And this age period, we call it the church age, is characterized by two things. God's grace. You know we're living under the age of grace, right? No one's living under the law anymore. We're living in grace. Hallelujah. If we weren't, we probably all would have been stoned already, literally. But we're living under God's grace, right? The church age. But it's also Satan's last hurrah, if you could look at it that way. Evil is increasing, but grace is increasing as, as well. And so at that time when John wrote this, you have to remember that Jesus uh, ascended, say, in 33 A.D. By A.D. 70, Jerusalem fell. There was a big problem with the Roman Empire. And now in 95 A.D., people are really thinking this has to be the end. And if they thought it then, how much more should we be thinking that the end is right around the corner? All I know is that the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will arise. And then we who remain will be caught up into the air with, to be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort each other with these words. So verse number 18. Church, it's the last hour. And, and, and if you notice in verse number 18, the last hour is characterized by a rise of this antichrist spirit. The end of that verse 18 says, by which we know it is the last hour. We know it's the last hour because of the rise of the Antichrist spirit. And verse number 19, I'll just paraphrase it. They came out of the church. These people with the Antichrist spirit came out from the church. They weren't really with us, but they were with us, but they weren't of us. They weren't one of us. If they were one of us, they would have never left. But they, they left us so that they would be manifested as, as Antichrist spirit. Note that it's not the Antichrist with a capital A. It's the little a, the Antichrist spirit. And notice the deceptive spirit of the Antichrist. They're in the church. Does that get you a little bit upset? That bothers me. It's like, how dare you? You know, go out and do your thing out there. No, but, but, but that's the way Satan is. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's prideful and arrogant. He'll infiltrate any church and try to cause discord within that church. Verse number 20. But you, you who are born again, filled with the Spirit of God, you have an anointing from the Holy One. So you're not like those with the Antichrist spirit. You have, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse number 21 and 23, uh, because you know all things, you should be able to discern the difference between the truth and the lie. And who's, who's proclaiming truth, who's living truth, and who's living in, in a lie. So verse 21, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth. I'm written because you do know the truth. There's no lying in the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He's Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so what he's saying is there are some that will, that will distort the Scripture, distort what Jesus even said. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. When, when, what he says, I say. What he does, I do. We are one. We are united. And so the deceptive spirit was saying something different than that. So in verse number 24, um, he says, he says this, um, therefore, you have this situation. You have this conflict or you have this spiritual battle going on. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Can I ask you a question? What did you hear from the beginning? Like when someone witnessed to you, didn't you hear that Jesus loved you? That Jesus died on the cross for you? That Jesus wants all of your heart? He wants you to surrender your life to him? This reminds me of in in Revelation chapter 2 when John was writing to the church of Ephesus. He He said, you know, church, 
you've done good. You, you have faith and you've, you've had patience. You've identified false teachers, but you've lost your first love. And so John is saying here in verse number 24, let that, whatever you had in the beginning, be with you now so that you can discern the lie from the truth. And there are antichrist spirits that would love to deceive us into believing something that's not in the word of God. So what was, in, what was, the, what was it like for you when, you when you began your walk with the Lord? For me, I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I, I was amazed at the word of God. I would read it every morning. I never read it like that before, you know, word by word. And, and every day the Lord was like showing me things in the word. It was an awesome experience. I've got to tell you too, I found another, you know, I like, I like uh, radio and Bible apps. I, it's like a, not a hobby, but it's something I like to do. I found this really good, I know I mentioned this before, but I found a better one, a Bible app that has preaching 24-7. And I'll put that thing, I'll leave it on all night long with my little headphone. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll put it in. I hear somebody preaching about something. It is awesome to, to do that. I, I, at this point, and I've been around the word for a long time. But this is like new manna for me. I have to tell you, this is like fresh meat of God's word. But you, you, we have to go back to what it was like in the beginning. Loving the word of God. Loving to worship God. Come on. Loving to get up on a Sunday morning and get up and get out of bed and go to church for crying out loud. I, you know, loving to do that. Loving to do that. You know, we had an opportunity when we were in North Carolina. to We drove for two hours to visit where we used to live in North Carolina many, many years ago. We went to the old church, where not where we got saved, but where we attended church for about four or five years. And it was so interesting to me to see the facility, see the place where the Spirit of God really ministered to me and Pamela. And just to go back in time and feel things and see things, met some people we used to know. It was an awesome experience to go back. But what, what John is saying is, if you want to be able to discern the truth from the lie, you've got to go back to how it was in the beginning. Loving God, loving the Word, loving worship, loving church, loving purity and holiness shunning evil, putting up safeguards. Not just your first year of salvation. Come on. We're talking about, I'm 40 years down the road. Yeah, I'm talking about till Jesus comes back. He's not, he's, he's not writing to the young men here or, or, the, or the fathers. He's writing to the little children, the, the entire church. So wherever you are in your walk with God, you've got to get back to the basics and renew that fervor for God that you had in the first place. If you didn't have fervor in the first place, you need to get some fervor right now. <laughs> I mean, I had fervor in the beginning because I, I got saved. I, I got saved. I don't know about you. I was excited when I got saved. It was all, all things were new. It was very, you know, very powerful. So, okay, so verse 24. Uh, Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. That, that makes good sense. Get back to basics. Pray. Fast. Whatever you did before, get back to that. And this is the promise. And, and I, I love this because he makes it so simple and so, so clean. The promise of, of our, our walk with God is eternal life. When we die... We get to be with God forever. That's exciting to me. He doesn't say, this is, the, this is the promise that you'll have a brand new house and a brand new car. He says, no, forget about that. You'll have eternal life. That trumps everything. So when someone like our sister Jane dies, or Patty, Patty Stauffer's dad passed away, or others, we know from their confession of faith, they are with the Lord. Hallelujah. They wouldn't want to come back. So these things, verse 26, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. I want to just emphasize the word try. Just because someone tries doesn't mean they're going to get you. They may try to dissuade you or pervert your theology or whatever, but that doesn't mean they're going to succeed. Now let me, let me talk about verse 27 for a minute. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Can I talk about that for a minute? Because there's a lot of confusion about that one line. 
On the one hand, he's saying, you don't need any of these false teachers to teach you. Because you have the spirit of God in you that's telling you they're wrong. And on the other hand, you don't need a teacher to teach you this because you have the spirit of God in you anyway. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now, we do need teachers to teach the word of God. We need pastors to shepherd the flock. We need preachers to preach the word of God. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need all of the above. But in this case, to discern truth from a lie, there should be something in our spirit that gives a warning, this guy is off. And so that's what he's saying. You have the Holy Spirit in you. This is what our brother Bill was talking about at the men's breakfast yesterday. You know, we, he was talking to the men. We need to be men of God that know right from wrong and do the right things. No one has to tell us certain things. It's the Spirit of God that tells us. You know, I mean, I can remember when I got saved, I, I said this before, but no one told me not to smoke pot anymore, not to get drunk, not to do stupid things. No, the Holy Spirit told me that. <laughs> There's a little excitement going on up here. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, we, we underplay the Holy Spirit. I mean, He talks to us. He convicts us. You know, uh, well, there was one time, however, uh, I, felt, I felt like when we first got married, brand new Christians, I felt like I needed to get a part-time job somewhere, make some money for my wife and I, my new wife. And so I, I told my friend, I said, yeah, I'm going to go to that bar down there and get a job playing guitar. That's what I used to do. And he looked at me as a more mature Christian. He goes, he goes Rick, I think the Lord might have something different for you to do. I said, you think so? He goes, yeah, I don't think I would go to that bar. I said, yeah, you're probably right. And so I got a job painting houses, which I knew how to do that too. Anyway, the Holy Spirit does speak to us. And we need to listen to to the voice of the Lord. So verse 27, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need anyone to teach you about this stuff. There's a witness in your heart that should tell you when someone is off base or not. And that, so that's, that's basically the scripture. So let's, let's talk about application to this, uh, from this passage. And, uh, I want to try to make it relevant to, to us today, to our church, to us personally. But in case anyone was wondering, number one is this. The last hour, the last days are definitely right now. We're in the last days. Now that doesn't mean Jesus is coming tomorrow. He might. It just means that we're in the, the time frame where his second coming or his, his, the rapture of the saints could occur at any point. So, but, but remember in verse number 18, this last day's period is characterized, I said God's grace, but right here it says it's characterized by the rise of the Antichrist spirit. And that makes me wonder, like, what's going on? But when I think about what's going on in the world today, I'm so convicted that we are in the last days, church. I think we might be in the last of the last days. And the next big thing on the Jesus calendar is the shout and the voice of the archangel and the, the sound of the trumpet. Whoa, Jesus is coming. What was that? I heard a trumpet. <laughs> Man, my glasses are falling. I'm hearing things. All right. <laughs> so let, let's talk about this a minute. Jesus, in, in Matthew 24, he was teaching. He said, you know, uh, there's going to come a time when when uh, many false teachers will come out, will come out and, 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 and say things in my name and, and proclaim who they are. They think that they're me and whatever. And he says, this is the beginning of sorrows. Don't be deceived by these voices that you hear when other people say they are the Christ. He goes on to say that, uh, take heed, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, pestilences, diseases, earthquakes. All these things are going to happen. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Man, we are, we are, we're beyond the beginning of sorrows. I mean, he wrote that way back then, but 2,000 years down the line, we see it all over the place. There is so much corruption. So, so much sin is abounding everywhere. Grace is too. And I'm encouraged when I see some of these big churches, mega churches, all these young people getting saved and worshiping God. The whole worship music industry is phenomenal. It really is. It's a phenomenal move of the Holy Spirit through music. It's, it's great. But the condition of the world is horrific. 
And Jesus said, you know, before I come back, be looking for these signs. And when you see these things happening, like the pregnant woman, when the birth pains get closer and closer and closer, you'll know that the end is near. So we're in that time. And these things are getting closer and closer and closer. But I wanted to, I did a little research. You know, you can find almost anything online these days. But I looked up uh, the rise of antichrists today. I found this article that gave like five suggestions as to who the living antichrist might be today. I'm not going to go there right now, but it's out there if you want to see. It was interesting, actually. But I did find out that there are thousands of people today that claim to be Jesus. They claim to be Messiah. That's bad enough, but they have a following of thousands of people. And that's what's really troublesome. It's one thing to say you're Jesus, but when uh, you know, 5,000 people follow you online? So a lot of this is from splinter Christian groups. A lot of it is from other world religions, like the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus and different world religions. But I found a couple, and li- listen to this. There's, there's a person, you can look this up online if you want. John, uh, Alan John Miller is from Australia. He claims to be Jesus reincarnated. His partner's name is Mary Magdalene. And their movement is called the Divine Truth. It's very popular in Australia. Thousands of people follow him. Another person from Puerto Rico, his name is Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, claims to be both Jesus and the Antichrist at the same time. Very popular in Latin America. Very popular. Did he die? Well, I don't know if I say praise the Lord, but... All right. So you know of him. The last one I mentioned, his last name is Miranda. Henry, Henry Cristo is from Brazil. Uh, he, he says he's the reincarnate Christ, very popular in Brazil. Surgery Antolovitech Torgo from Russia has a church entitled uh, The Church of the Last Testament. Uh, doc, a documentary in 2012 drew 2 million viewers to see what he was all about. And another person, Wayne Bent from New Mexico, um, has a church called The Lord, Our Righteous Church. He claims to be the embodiment of God. But the troublesome thing is, is that people follow these people. And it tells me that there are many false teachers, false prophets out there in the world today. But it also tells me that there is a hunger in people's hearts. You know, there is a a desire that people want the truth. And I I, I always put it back on the church. We have the truth. That's why we've got to be mobilized to go out to the streets or online or whatever we do to proclaim the truth without holding back what the truth is. And so, you know, this is the last hour. I mean, I don't need to tell you about the earthquakes and the storms and the tornadoes and this and that and famine and diseases all over the place. But the rise of the Antichrist spirit is all over the place. We're in the last days. The second thing is this, is that the church, unfortunately, is a battlefield for truth. It is a battlefield The Antichrist spirit in verse 19 was birthed out of people that were in the church. Not of the church, but they were in the church. You see the difference? They were there. They were there. And they came out of it to do what they did. So the church is a breeding ground, in a sense, for a lot of deception, unfortunately. That's because of an unyielded spirit the Lord, because wouldn't the Lord love to take someone that has a, a strong desire to serve God and give them the absolute truth? But if that person's not willing to accept the truth, they take a little piece of it and go off on their own way and start their own following, and we have a problem. We have a lot of problems with that. We call them cults, by the way. But First Timothy 3.15, Paul wrote, wrote something very profound. The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church of the living God 
is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And unfortunately, the, the church has always come under attack either from the outside or from those on the inside. Jesus began the identification process that there was a problem when he would call out the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and whatever, calling them snakes and broods of, uh, brood of vipers and so forth, hypocrites. And he was setting the stage for the, the battlefield within the church setting. Being religious does not make you right with God. And so there's a problem there. Paul continued uh, the exposure of the faulty, uh, faulty doctrine by exposing those in the church. He, he dealt harshly with those that, that had faulty doctrine and were proud and arrogant and so forth. Those with an agenda. Jesus said, you can't receive this gospel with an old wineskin. You have to receive this gospel with a new wineskin, meaning it's alive, it'll, it'll change you, but you have to be willing to grow and expand with the gospel. So unfortunately, the church has been a battleground and attacked by the evil one or by evil people. And it's uncomfortable for me to be saying this today. And I would say, on behalf of the church or on behalf of this church or the clergy, I'm sorry if anyone ever got hurt in, our, in this church I am sincerely sorry if that happened. But too many have been hurt or damaged by, in the church by people that have the wrong spirit in the church. And for that, I am really sorry. Too many pastors and leaders have seen and heard way too much. In fact, this reminds me of my son in a way. My son Jeffrey uh, was a policeman. He was a policeman for seven years. In the last couple of years, he was a, a detective. And he was involved in North Carolina. And he was uh, involved in uh, domestic violence cases, sexual violence cases. He saw things that he should never have seen. And it, it wore on him. And after a couple of years of that, he stepped out of the whole police force. What I'm saying, there are some ministers that have seen so much arrogance, pride, Lack of humility in the church. They throw in the towel, give up their calling, and go do something else. It's so unfortunate that that happens. And many have been taught faulty doctrine in the church and continue to be taught faulty doctrine in the church. Can I tell you something right now? The true church will never sanction adultery, fornication, or same-sex marriage. Sorry to say that. Some churches teach that. But the true church could never compromise the word of God. And then the extension of grace and love is there for everybody. Let's face it. But you can't condone what the Bible says is sinful behavior. Some churches do that. But the true church would never do that. It's a battlefield. So how, does someone, how do we, or how do I, fellowship with clergy that have that different mindset? It's a battlefield. The, the true church will never condone racism of any sort, even subtle racism. And the church will never, never condone or authorize murder of the unborn for convenience sake. That will never happen in the true church. But it's happening in some churches. You see what I'm saying? So, so I'm, I'm thinking about this sermon. I'm saying, why, why would we lose people over politics last November? Why would we lose people over upholding a biblical pattern of family and marriage? You know, like living together before marriage is a sin. Why would someone leave over that? Or why would someone leave uh, because we follow the scriptures regarding spiritual accountability and uh, uh, spiritual authority over a congregation? And someone would leave. They don't want that. So I'm saying, why is that? Is that a spirit of antichrist? It could very well be. Or is it God's way of just weeding out the church and getting rid of the, the, rebel, the rebels among us? But I, I'm saying in the church, I, I, you know, when I first got saved, I shared this. I thought, I really thought that the church was like perfect. Everybody in the church, I thought everyone was so perfect. It didn't last long because I saw things, you know. And then I realized, wait a minute, you know, I'm not perfect. They're not perfect. They're doing stuff. I'm doing, I'm trying to work out my salvation. I realized the church is a battlefield. You're in a battle. I'm in a battle. 
And Satan would love, demons would love to disrupt what God is doing. That's why I said it earlier. We need prayer warriors. So Monday night, every Monday night, 6.30 to 7.30, there's people praying here. I know that 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 prayer on that night gives a sense of protection over the body of Christ here. Every Sunday night, 6 o'clock, we're praying from 6 to 7 online. There's a scripture in uh, Exodus 2. Wayne, this reminds me of what you shared before. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And at one point, they began to cry out to God, to groan before God, making their case, Lord God, help us. We're in bondage. Help us. And it says that the Lord heard their groanings and heard their prayers and remembered he had a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he acknowledged them. Someone needs to stand in the gap and pray for this church. And for all churches. And say, Lord God, remember, we have a covenant with you. We may be getting bombarded by every little thing that happens. They're all around us. But we're standing fast. We're trusting in you for deliverance and healing and strength and power. And to go forward. And as as those people cried out to God, God delivered them and set them free, ultimately. And worshipers. And Stacy, thank you for leading us this morning. You, You have a gift from God you're, you're not, a, you're, a, I would say worship leader, but that doesn't even do it. You're a worship warrior. And, and there's a difference. A lot of people can lead worship, but we're talking about a worship warrior. We need to have a warrior mentality that we'll worship God no matter what. You know, some people, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping God today. What? Get over it, man. Worship God. He never said to worship me when you feel like it. He just said to worship me. So there's the story in Second Chronicles, the story of King Josephat, surrounded by a huge, massive army. And he was fearful. He was like, you know, what am I going to do? And, and he pulled back. He started to pray. He started to worship God before he did anything. And then, I never caught this before, Second Chronicles 20, I think it's 22. He put together a worship team of singers to give praise to God. No battle was fought yet. He established a worship team to worship God while the enemies encamped all around. And while they're praying and worshiping God, the Lord set up an ambush and defeated the enemy. And so the the, the victory comes in prayer and worship. I'm convinced of it 100%. We must always be people of God that will pray and worship God. And with that setting going on, when the word of God is presented, man, it's like, it's like that's how it's supposed to be. The opposition is defeated. The word goes forward and people's lives are changed. So, so the church is a battlefield and we have to recognize that. But number three is this. In spite of the fact that the church is a battlefield, in spite of the sin and the rebellion and the hardship and the heartbreak, we have the victory. Wayne, your word was right on, t- on track with my message today. We have the victory. No matter what happens, we have the victory. Verse number 20, 1 John two twenty says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Come on, church. You know what you have to do. I know what we have to do. The Spirit of God is in us speaking to us. We have an anointing from God. When we said yes to the Lord, that yoke of sin and bondage to the enemy was broken off of us. And now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Somebody give me an amen right there. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the victory. So in verse number 26, when people try to deceive you, you have an anointing from God that would say, no, 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 no. That's not right. Now someone may say, well, you know, people don't try to... Talk to me about doctrine. No, but people may try to deceive you by saying things like, what are you going to church all the time for? Why are you always reading your Bible? Why are you always doing this? Or whatever. Why are you always saying praise the Lord or whatever you say? Don't try to deceive me. What I'm doing is right. Well, I'm, I have, to, I, I, I have this, uh, this conviction within me. I have an anointing from the Holy One. It's a yes and an Amen. Praising God. It's a yes, there's no doubt, there's no argument there. And being fervent for God, there's no argument there. And people will say, you're too excited about the Lord. No, no, don't tell me I'm too excited. I will say to you, you're not excited about the Lord enough. 
You can't get too excited about the Lord. But people will try to deceive. But we have a victory because we have this, verse number 20, we have this anointing from the Holy One. We have the Holy Spirit all over. Look at verse number 21. We have the truth in us. Verse number 24. Let that that we had from the beginning, let that abide in you. Go back, church. Get get the anointing you had when you first got saved, when you first got excited about God. Get that going in your spirit again. Stir up the gift within you. Verse number 27. We have Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost discernment. And so I would say this, 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says that the Lord always leads us in triumph. 1 Corinthians 15.57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. So we, we, have, we have a situation here. We're in the last days. We're in the last hour. The battle is raging. But thanks, thank God we have the victory in Jesus Look at verses 26 and 27. It's on the screen. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have receives from him abides in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, it's true. It's not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Don't listen to the gossipers, the false doctrines, the people that are trying to get under your skin. Don't listen to it. Let the Spirit of God arise within you to do your work, to do His work in your life. Now, I want to close with with a verse uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Can we turn there? 2 Corinthians 2. But before we turn there, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. So we left on Thursday the 9th of September. Got down there. And on Thursday night, yours truly was uh, literally shivering, burning up with a fever. I very seldom get sick. I wore my son's sweatshirt Thursday night. All day Friday, I was in bed. Friday night, I was in bed, shivering, burning up with fever. And Saturday, and the wedding was on Sunday. In a different place. So Saturday, Pamela had it on Friday, I think it was. She started shivering. I'm saying, Lord, I have a wedding. I, I can't be sick. I got I to gotta get, you know, I got to move. So we got up on Saturday. I forced myself to get going. We drove three hours to the beach where the wedding was on the next day. We checked into a hotel. I'm feeling lousy. And uh, Sunday comes. And I'm, so Pam went to Jeffrey's hotel room down the hall. And I'm in this hotel room by myself, thinking about this wedding. My granddaughter, Lee, is getting married. I'm the officiant of the wedding. I don't feel good. I feel bad. I feel, I feel lousy. <laughs> and I'm trying to write some things down. All of a sudden, I'm hearing praise music. I thought I was hearing things. There was no, nothing was on. No radio, no TV was on in the room. There, nothing was on. And I'm looking around saying, it's like, the more I seek you, the more I find you. And then, uh, oh, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, I'm getting the chills. And I'm saying, Lord, where's that? It can't be the room next door. I don't, there's no, I don't hear anything. So I look out the patio, and these people are on the, on the pool blasting their worship music. And I started to cry. I said, Lord, you're, you're with me right now in my dilemma. You're with me. You're, you're speaking to me right now. I know this wedding's going to be okay now. And it was. And I, I felt okay. We went through the wedding. Praise God. So, so then we, have a, we go back to Durham, three hours back to Durham. And we're with Jeffrey and his kids for the, for the week. And so last Sunday came. Everyone's happy. We're excited. We found a nice church to go to. And uh, Jeffrey's coming. The kids are coming. Pamela, we're all getting ready, getting dressed to go. And lo and behold, yours truly can't find his wallet. Now, okay, if I lose my wallet here, you know. But see, my, my photo ID is in there. My credit cards, my identification. I've got a flight on Tuesday. I need a photo ID to get out of here. And I'm a little bit worried. I'm tearing up the room. 
I'm tearing up the suitcase. All the suitcases are emptied. The car is torn apart. The kitchen, everything, no wallet anywhere. And everyone's excited about going to church. And I'm thinking, Lord, uh, now I don't feel right about going to church. I'm upset. And, and the Lord was, was dealing with me, saying, you can't, you can't get upset over this. And I realized something. L- let me say this if I can. A couple of weeks ago, I was going through my devotional book, a, a study of Psalms. And the commentator of the Psalms said that these next five or six Psalms are traditionally used by Jewish people when they celebrate Passover. So when Jesus was at the Last Supper, and when, when they sang the hymn after they broke bread together, they sang a hymn, then they went out to the garden. Before they went out there, they sang probably these hymns, these, these Psalms. Those Psalms in particular were all about praising God. And I'm thinking, Jesus knew that night he was going to be betrayed. The next day he was going to be brutally crucified and die. And yet he had time to step back and give praise to the Father. Now that really ministered to me. So I'm thinking now, okay, I lost my wallet. I'm upset. I've got to go to church and worship God anyway. It was a challenge for me. I felt like David, when his son died, he went to the temple, washed himself and went to the temple and worshiped God anyway. But I felt like I've got to do this for many reasons. I have to do it for me. I have to do it for my wife. I have to do it for my son. They have to see me as it'll be okay. So I go to church. That We go to church. Have a great time in church. Get there. Time for the sermon. He says, take your Bible. Turn to Luke 15. You know what Luke 15 is? The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. I said, I said, Jeffrey, he's talking to me, you know. <laughs> and so, so a beautiful serv- service, a wonderful time, wonderful. They had a baptism afterward, but I still can't find my wallet. So we, we leave and, and we go somewhere. And then I said, well, Lord, I don't know. I'm going to have to call the credit card company and do this and do that and get ready for the flight without the license. And okay, I resigned myself to do that. I said, well, let me check the van one more time. And I looked down there between the seats, and there was my wallet, way down there, buried in there. I was rejoicing with God. But, but the, victory, the victory was, and I, I want to get to this, the, the, all that was to get to this verse. I wanted the, the fragrance of Christ to come out of me, in spite of my dilemma of losing my wallet. And I believe that that happened. So this scripture says, uh, second. Corinthians 2, 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I want to encourage you, church, to allow the Lord to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in your lives so other people can sense and feel and take in the aroma of Christ's. And no, things are not going to be perfect. You might lose your wallet or whatever. You may have a dilemma, whatever. They happen. But in spite of those things, can we determine now we will worship God? He hasn't changed a bit. Just because I lost my wallet didn't mean he changed. He was where he always was. You know, I'm the one that was upset. He was exactly where he always was. So I had to recognize that and worship him anyway. And thank the Lord he let me find my wallet. But can we determine that we have a triumph in spite of the Antichrist spirit, in spite of the sin around us and the rebellion and the the country that's going berserk right now, all the stuff going on, the pandemic and all these different things. Can we determine in our heart we have the triumph through Christ? And and through us, he allows the fragrance of his knowledge to come out of us. People need to know as we go through ordeals in life, the fragrance of Christ comes out of us. That's a powerful statement right there. Let's stand together, can we? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed for just a moment. Um, Every head bowed and just want to ask you if, if there's anyone here tonight or to the, the, this afternoon maybe you feel like you've been attacked or you've been you've been oppressed or you've been hindered by spiritual forces or by 
ungodly people that are bothering you or whatever, and you need to shake that off of you and not be affected by that stuff, and you need to get back to basics and just accept Christ and live for Jesus and be, be determined with a fresh determination. No matter what anyone says or does, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I want to I want to raise that question. And if there's anyone like that, I want to ask you to step out of your seat and just come up here to the altar and kneel down and someone will come from behind and pray over you. So anyone like that, come on up. If there's anyone here that needs to receive Jesus, maybe you haven't yet. The invitation is there for you to do that. Come, come forward. Uh, you can even come forward after we say the amen if you want, and we'll have a time of lingering here at the altar. And if there's anyone here that has an unsaved family member, a, a child, a parent, a brother, sister, uh, or a close friend that needs Jesus, and you're so concerned about them, and you, you just want people to pray uh, for them, uh, you may want to come up and spend some time in prayer over that. So let the Spirit of God move you. Father, Lord, we come before you today. And Lord, for some, I I sense in my heart there is a shaking off. There is like a a wake-up call that we've been affected negatively by this antichrist spirit in the world today. Trying to... uh, persuade us or dissuade us away from the church or take us away from our first love. Lord, we want to tell you we rebuke that. We reject that right now. As Paul told Timothy, we we want to stir up the gift that is in us. So Lord, for those in that category, I pray for them now that they would renew their commitment to you. And Father, if there's anyone here today or anyone at home watching this service that needs salvation, oh God, May the spirit of the living God just bring conviction upon their heart, not condemnation, but conviction that they need to get right with you. And we're in the last hour. You could come back today. And we pray, Lord, for somebody to just surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ right now in the name and authority of Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. Father, we also want to pray right now for our children, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our relatives, our close friends that we really love and care about, people that we see on a regular basis because they're close to us, but they're far away from you. And Father, we pray for them today that they would have an awakening, an epiphany in their spirit that uh, the Spirit of God is here to help them and to, and to lead them to a peaceful relationship with you. Not that you have come to harm them or hurt them. You've come to give them peace, give them grace and forgiveness. We pray, Lord, for those that are running from you to give up the fight and surrender to your Lordship. We thank you for that, oh God. So, Lord, as we... As we close out this service, Lord, we're not closing you off by any means. May we leave here excited and refreshed. Let us exude the fragrance of Christ as we interact with people in our families, in the restaurant, in the stores, whatever, at at our workplace. May the fragrance of Christ be obviously upon us. And may other people be affected by that. So, Lord, thank you for this word today. Pray your blessing over everybody. Bless our prayer meeting tonight and tomorrow night. Bless our various live streams throughout the week. Lord, let us be sensitive to what you're doing in these days. So we give you all thanks and we give you all praise. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, the altars are open if you need prayer time. Uh, if you got to go, God bless you. We'll see you tonight. But uh, I love you. Glad that you were here today. God bless.